We're going to be looking in Romans chapter 1. If anybody wants to read along, they can open up to Romans 1. We're looking at Romans 1, 16 to 32. So starting in verse 16, Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they came, became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire toward one another, men committing indecent acts and receiving their own, in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
Today's message is a little discomforting. But God has been laying it on my heart. And as Jesse was preaching on the topic, your knowledge drives your commitment, I decided to build on that foundation. And I know this may seem a strong message. I, I know it should make us feel uncomfortable. Um, and I do plan on tying in to this idea of our knowledge driving our commitment. Because um, it's very important. Uh, I just finished reading the book Death in the City by Francis Schaeffer for the second time. This book was published in 1969, and I first read it in 1973. I want to quote the first paragraph in the book to help us get a sense of where I hope to go with this message. We live in a post-Christian world. What should be our perspective as individuals, as institutions, as Orthodox Christians, as those who claim to be Bible-believing? How should we look at this post-Christian world and function as Christians in it? Notice, Francis Schaeffer wrote this. This was actually written as a compilation of messages he gave throughout 1968. But this was written 50 years ago. Many of us remember what it was like back then, if not as teenagers and as young adults. There were no worries about letting children play in the neighborhood. Terrorism, mass shootings were almost unheard of. For the most part, we could speak our minds, and Christian businesses didn't have to worry about people actively trying to destroy them for their faith. What started this fire that we now see? To answer this, I want to look at Romans 1.18. I'm not going, I am going to use the King James for this verse because it gives a more accurate understanding of the underlying Greek. Romans 1.18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The New American Standard says, hinder or suppress the truth, which is close, but it's not exactly right. See, what they were doing was they were, if you will, holding the truth at bay. They were trying to keep it from piercing their heart lest it kill them. Now, as Christians, we know, yes, truth will kill the old nature, that we may be set free from the slavery to sin. Remember last week's children's devotional where Jesus said, you must lose your name, or lose your life for my name's sake in order to gain it? 
Looking at the Jer book of Jeremiah, we see a historical example of holding the truth and unrighteousness playing out. Jeremiah steadfastly told Israel, judgment is coming for their sin. Would they listen? No. They had their false prophets saying, all will be well. I want to read two verses out of Jeremiah. They're both out of the second chapter. Jeremiah 2.8, Jeremiah says this, The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. And Jeremiah 2.18 says this, But now, what are you doing on the road to Egypt to drink the waters of the Nile? What are you doing on the road to Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Remember, at that time, they were trying to get help from other countries against Babylon. And that's the question he's asking. You're not asking God for help. You're asking others. You're not going where you're supposed to be going. The frightening thing is, we don't need to look back in history to see holding the truth and unrighteousness playing out. All we have to do is look around us. We see mobs running around doing violence to anyone who dares disagree with them. We see an increased frequency of mass killings. We see our country being destroyed by the corruption of the very people who are supposed to protect us. All the while, the pundits in the news are bemoaning these tragedies, asking, why and what can we do? Some of the things they suggest are the need for more guns so we can stop the shooter sooner. We need laws to prevent bad people from getting guns. Some have suggested we need to promote the family and provide help to those less fortunate. Many of these ideas look back at what we once were as a country. The problem is we see many of the pillars that hold our society together are falling like dominoes. So while we rush to prop one pillar up, it has knocked others over. There's a worm that has been eating its way through society for close to a century. That has been undermining these pillars. It's the idea of relative truth. How many have heard the expression, that's your truth? How many have said or even thought the same thing? That should terrify you. Let's think about this for a minute. If you can have your truth, I can have mine. And that makes me God. 
That's nothing less than Satan encouraging me to take another bite out of the apple. I can be just like God with my own truth. Didn't that already happen in the Garden of Eden? You can be like God with the knowledge of good and evil. Antifa is running around as angry mobs bent on punishing their enemies because Antifa's truth is right and anyone who disagrees deserves to be punished. Terrifying, isn't it? There's a phrase that's frequently repeated in the book of Judges. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Every time we see that phrase, disaster follows. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He did not say, I'm teaching you truth, or I know the truth. No. He said, I am the truth. If you will, I am the standard by which all truth is measured. It was no accident that Paul started with the belt of truth as a piece of our armor. Without the belt holding everything together, Roman, army, Roman armor would just be an unmanageable pile of equipment. Truth is absolute. If something is true, the opposite is false. Period. Truth cannot be argued with. It can be ignored. It can be dismissed. It can be ridiculed. But it can't be argued with. Just think. I'm going to go up on the roof of a house and argue with the truth of gravity. What would the consequences be? Hopefully just a broken arm or broken leg and not a broken neck. Those who ignore, dismiss, and ridicule are the ones who hold truth in unrighteousness. Holding the truth in unrighteousness is the match that has lit the fire of God's wrath. The next question we need to ask is, what does the fire of God's wrath look like? Was it 9-11? Is it all these mass killings that we see? The first memorable mass killing in the United States was Valentine's Day killing in 1929. I wasn't around to remember it, but it was something that was well-known piece of history, and it still is. The pundits tried to reassure us by telling us they're not that frequent, but if you look at a list of them in our history, you get a completely different picture. By the decade in the 50s, there was one in the 60s. There were six. In the 70s, saw a big increase, big increase, 14. It wasn't until 2013 that we saw them counted by the year. 
In 2013, there were seven. That's one more than the entire decade of the 60s. In 2014, seven. In 2015, 10. Jump ahead to 2018 and we see 19. That's more than one a month. Just eight months into 2019, there have been 11 mass killings. Not to mention the general murder rate in the country or the death rate from the epidemic drug use in our country. So is this God's judgment? Not exactly. We imagine God doing something like striking us down with a bolt of lightning for our evil deeds. But let's look at what the scripture says God's judgment looks like. Romans 1, 28-32 say this, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wicked, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. What does it say in verse 28? God gave them over to their depraved mind to practice that entire list of things. And what are we seeing playing out in our country today? That list, in its full, is being played out. God's wrath is not coming to America. It's already here. God used Jeremiah to say the same thing to Israel. Jeremiah 2, 19 says this, Your own wickednesses will correct you, and your apostasies will reprove you. Know therefore and see that it is evil and bitter for you to forsake, forsake the Lord your God, and the dread of me is not in you, declares the Lord God of hosts. He's saying, your own sins are going to punish you. And that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing people just completely devoid of any concern for the consequences of their actions. Our house is on fire. There is death in the city. We are surely seeing the consequences of holding the truth in unrighteousness. So with a match well lit, on our house, a raging inferno. The question is, what are we to do? 
As I was preparing this message, I came across an article in the National Review. It's titled, Another Pop Culture Christian Loses His Faith. This article is about Hillsong United songwriter Marty Sampson renouncing his faith. Before I read this, there's a word that I had to look up. It's catechesis. This is another form of catechism, just so you know what's being said here. I know I had to look it up. As our culture changes, secularizes, and grows less tolerant of Christian orthodoxy, I'm notice, noticing a pattern in many of the people who fall away. Again, only Samson knows his heart. They're retreating from faith not because they're ignorant of its very tenets and lack the necessary intellectual theological depth, but rather because the adversity of adherence to the increasingly countercultural doctrine grows too great. Put another way, the failure of the church isn't so much of catechesis, but of fortification, of building the pure moral courage and resolve to live your faith in the face of cultural headwinds. Very timely article, actually. Remember, your knowledge drives your commitment. And it's important to understand, knowledge is based on truth, and truth must be absolute. Right is right, wrong is wrong. We must remember Paul's call to us as Christ's church. Ephesians 5.14 says this, Wherefore he said, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So we must come to Jesus seeking the truth. We must know the truth if we are to be a light to those around us. We must take, to the, tr take the truth to those we can reach. I'm not talking about words from a dusty book. By the way, if your book is dusty, it's time to dust it off and start reading. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 say this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I'm not talking about pounding a person over the head with the Bible, trying to pierce their hearts by quoting scripture at them. No. You must let God pierce your heart so you can be radically changed from within. You must bring the living word of God to your neighbor. Paul wrote this to the Christians. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. You are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ 
cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. Do we need to be perfect to carry God's word to our neighbor? No. We only need to be forgiven. Our attitude must be, I am only a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. We must cultivate the conviction that God's message is urgent. I titled my message, A House on Fire, for this very reason. Let us consider ourselves as first responders running into a burning building, seeking to rescue others from the flames that will destroy them for all eternity. We should never say to ourselves, I'm so glad God saved me, without also looking around and considering the plight of the unsaved. I'm afraid that is a sin I commit too frequently. Our prayers should include, make me light so others will see you. Make me salt so others will thirst for your living waters. The answer to those prayers will be God piercing your heart with the light of his righteousness and washing you with the living waters of his word. If you want to the full benefit, you must accompany those prayers with Bible reading. In Ephesians 6, just before laying out the armor of God, Paul charges us with this command. Having done everything to stand, stand therefore. We must teach our children how to stand firm in the cultural headwinds of today's society. How do we do this? Do we do it with words or platitudes? No. This is something that must be taught by example. We must take the stand ourselves and explain to our children, taking a stand for Christ is more important than hurt feelings. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the message of salvation, a very precious message, a message that is the seed that brings righteousness to any who receive it. And we pray that you'll help us to truly plant the seed in our hearts and let it bear fruit in our lives and let the fruit of the Spirit draw others to you that they may also come to plant the fruit in their hearts. Lord, I just pray that you will help us to stand firm against the things that are happening in this culture, that you'll help us to take that stand for righteousness, that we will say right is right and wrong is wrong, and that we will not just say it with our words, but live it with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.